We'll be preaching this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, as we finish Jesus' teaching and interaction during the Feast of Tabernacles at the temple in Jerusalem. That's John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. And as you turn there, please join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that You would teach us the way of Your statutes that we might keep it to the end. Give us understanding that we may keep Your law and observe it with our whole hearts. We ask that You lead us in the path of Your commandments and help us to delight in them. We pray that You would incline our hearts to Your testimonies and not to selfish gain. We ask, Lord, that You would do this through the reading and the preaching of Your Word, that You would add to it the blessing by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. May God bless the reading of his holy word and let his church say, Amen. I heard a story recently about a father who was teaching his two young sons the proper way to brush their teeth. He took his young sons into the bathroom, stood them there at the sink before the mirror, and began to instruct them. Look here, son, hold the toothbrush in your hand and the toothpaste and 
begin gently to scrub your teeth and making little circles on your teeth and, and watch yourself in the mirror and, and pay careful attention and, and make sure you do a good job and, and don't miss any of your teeth and make sure you get all the ones in the back and the bottom and the inside and then make sure you get the, the bottom of your teeth, the back of your teeth, the front of your teeth and, and watch yourself in the mirror, son. And the, the little boy began to follow his son's instructions, and the father began to praise him. That's right. You're doing a good job. Keep going. You're, you're almost done. I, I think you've got it. Great job, son. He praised his son for following his, his instructions. The little boy then looked up at his father and said, Dad, do you brush your teeth? And the father said, oh, yes, I brush my teeth. I brush my teeth at least twice a day and sometimes more than twice a day. Still perplexed, the little four-year-old boy just looked at his dad and said, then why are your teeth so yellow? In John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus has been holding up a mirror for the Jewish leaders to see themselves in. And what Jesus has revealed to them is something far worse than yellow teeth. Jesus has revealed to them a sick, corrupt, dead heart. And they're angry with Jesus for what He's done. This section... Uh, of the Gospel of John, if you go back and you look at John chapter 7, you'll see that this section begins with their desire to arrest Jesus. They were seeking to kill Jesus. And midway through this section, they actually send guards to try and arrest Jesus. And here at the end of this section of Scripture, we see here their hatred and their anger towards Jesus as they pick up stones and make plans to put Jesus to death. Why were they so angry with Jesus? They're angry with Jesus because Jesus has been holding up a mirror to them. They don't like what they see in the mirror and they are offended by what Jesus has been revealing to them. And these self-proclaimed religious elites, self-proclaimed sons of Adam, or sons of Abraham, were in fact not sons of God or sons of Abraham as they declared to be, but they were in fact sons of the devil, Jesus calls them. They weren't converted. They weren't saved. They were not true disciples. And Jesus is holding up the mirror and He wants them to see it. And through this interaction, the Apostle John includes it so that all his readers can understand as well what it meant and what it still means for people to be true disciples, to be true followers of God, true sons of Abraham, true sons of God. What does it mean to be a true disciple? In this passage, we're going to learn that true disciples, all true disciples, have persevering faith. All true disciples, they have persevering faith. And these Jewish leaders 
don't have persevering faith. And some of these in the crowd who've accepted Jesus' teaching very excitedly are the same people who will cry out for Jesus to be crucified. They don't have persevering faith. Last week, we learned in John 8, 31-47, the marks of true disciples. True disciples are set free from the bondage of sin the deception of sin, and from the father of sin. And today we're going to learn three more marks, three more identifiers of true disciples, disciples who have persevering faith. What do they do? What is it that true disciples who have persevering faith do? First, I want you to see in this passage, number one, true disciples persevere in obedience. True disciples persevere in obedience. We pick up the narrative here in verse 48. These Jewish leaders are angry with Jesus. He's just finished calling them sons of the devil, and he's just finished telling them that they are not of God. And so here the Jewish leaders have resorted to personal attacks and name-calling of Jesus. Look at verse 48. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Jewish leaders despise the Samaritans with their mixed bloodline and their uh, pseudo-religious Jewish practices in Samaria. They despise the Samaritans. And so here they're hurling this insult at Jesus. Jesus, you're the scum of the earth is what they're saying to Him. We think you're horrible. We think you're awful. You're, you're worse than a Samaritan. You must be demon-possessed. You must be a lunatic, is what they're saying to Jesus. And Jesus flat out objects to this, doesn't He? He says, look at verse, 48, verse 49, I don't have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor Me. Jesus is saying that everything He does, He does in obedience to the Father. And the Father is honoring Him and He's honoring His Father. And by dishonoring Jesus in these words, these Jewish leaders are in fact dishonoring whom? Not just Jesus, but God the Father as well. So Jesus takes this opportunity to explain to them he doesn't seek His own glory, but there is one who seeks His glory. It's God the Father, and He'll have the final say in all this, is what Jesus is saying. He is, He's the judge. He's the final judge. And so if you think I'm a lunatic, you just wait and see. God is the judge, and in due time, all things will be revealed. So Jesus takes this opportunity and He begins to explain to them. He begins to separate out for them. He holds up a mirror and He wants them to see the distinction, the difference between true sons of God and false sons of God. True sons of Abraham and false sons of Abraham. And here's what He tells them in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My word, he will never see death. There's a few of these truly, truly statements in the Gospel of John. It's drawing emphasis to the reliability and the importance of the statement and the point that is being made. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you abide in His teaching, if you keep His teaching, 
if you obey His teaching and continue on in that obedience. Jesus says this in several different ways throughout the Gospel of John, doesn't He? I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in Me, you bear much truth. Same concept being taught here. Jesus is saying, if you keep My Word, if you persevere in keeping My Word, is what Jesus is saying. He will never see death. The Jews don't understand, again, what Jesus is talking about. They're interpreting Jesus' words critically. They're interpreting it without spiritual eyes. And so they tell Him, verse 52, now we know that you have a demon. Now we are certain that you are a lunatic, Jesus, because Abraham died and so did the prophets, and yet you have the goal, you have the audacity to promise that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. They don't understand that what Jesus is talking about is perseverance. I have a friend, many of you know him, Josh Espinoza, who works over at Independent Presbyterian Church on staff. And Josh, you may not know this about Josh, Josh last year completed 1,000 days of running every single day. Rain or shine, 1,000 days of running every single day. Josh is a little bit crazy like that. And I've had the opportunity to run with Josh a couple of times and Got the opportunity to run with Josh out in Jackson, Mississippi at Twin Lakes Fellowship and running around the lake there. And I think we did two or three miles and just looked at Josh. And I said, well, I'm done now. And Josh, if you know him, he's so nice. He just looked and smiled and said, it's been great running with you. I'll see you later. And then I walked off to the mess hall and Josh ran off to go run another trail. Josh really isn't a very fast runner. Or maybe he was just being kind to me. But what Josh lacks perhaps in speed, he makes up for in perseverance, doesn't he? It takes a certain kind of perseverance to run every single day for a thousand days. And in fact, talk with Josh recently and Josh is training right now. In just a couple of weeks, he will run in an ultra 100-mile marathon. There's a lot of people who will and can run two or three miles. They'll get out and go run, and that's wonderful and fine and good, but it's hard to do it with perseverance, isn't it? It's hard to do it with consistency. What Jesus is teaching here is the kind of perseverance of someone who, like Josh, will keep His Word every single day. Who will keep His Word when the weather is nice outside and when the weather is rainy outside. People who will keep Jesus' Word when it is convenient for them to keep His Word and also when it's inconvenient to keep His Word. People who will stay at it. People who will persevere. People who will continue on in Jesus' Word. These are the kinds of people who inherit 
eternal life is what Jesus is saying. Sometimes we doubt perseverance, don't we? Sometimes we doubt that we will keep running or that others will keep running. Some churches teach this, right? That, that for a period of time in your life, you backslid. You lost your salvation and you have gone out of the church and, and once you were saved and once you were converted, but because of choices and sinful choices that you've made in your life, you've ceased perseverance for a season and you're no longer a Christian in that moment. You've stopped persevering. And so, if you grew up in a church like mine, these people, they needed to do what? Well, they needed to get saved all over again. They needed to rededicate their life to Jesus all over again. Some of these people, now the really bad ones, they needed to be baptized again. That way, with another baptism, they could really let all the world know that this time their commitment to God is serious, that they really mean it with their whole heart, and that they are going to persevere this time. It's a, a public declaration to the world that this time is different, that they're going to follow and persevere in following Jesus. A lot of fallacies built into that argument. Let me just say first and foremost that baptism is not your public sign of your commitment to God. It is in fact a public sign of God's commitment to you. You can never be baptized again. You might get wet more than once at church, but you've only been baptized once. When God makes His promise to you, when God places His sign upon you, that promise is there. It, it can't be revoked, can it? And even if for a time you have wandered and strayed away from the church and wandered away from the faith and you have since come back, God's promise represented to you at the time of your baptism has proven to be true and faithful. That He will do whatever it takes to make certain that you persevere in this life. Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 17, it talks about the perseverance of the saints. In the second paragraph, it describes what perseverance is based upon. And it says, flat out, perseverance is not based upon our free will. For if it was based upon our free will, none of us would ever have any assurance that we would persevere in this life, would we? It's not the strength of our grip on the Lord's hand as we cross the street of sinful life. It is the strength of God's grip on our hand that enables us to persevere. That's where the assurance comes from. The confession describes it in two ways that this assurance is based not upon our free will, but number one, based upon the immutability of God's decree. That's a big word to say that God never changes His mind. When God declares a person righteous and justified and adopted by His grace and through the, the work of Jesus, God doesn't change His mind in that decree. God's never changed His mind. And if He's declared that you are justified, He won't change His mind about that, will He? 
not only is the decree immutable, but the work of Jesus is perfect, the confession says. It is based on the immutability of God's decree and the merit of Jesus' work. When Jesus went to the cross and purchased our salvation and paid the atonement for our sins, He didn't make salvation possible. He accomplished our salvation, didn't He? Our salvation is not something that is pending our perfect obedience. It is something that has been accomplished for us. That we receive by grace, through faith, And Jesus has made good on all His promises, including the sending of His Spirit to abide with us and to walk with us and to make us willing and able to persevere and obey Him. What is it that true Christians do? Well, true disciples have persevering faith. They persevere in obeying Jesus. And the promise here in this section is that When you persevere in following Jesus, the promise for you is that you will never taste death. You will never see death. Oh sure, your outer body might corrupt away and you may die. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. True disciples have persevering faith. They persevere in obedience. And secondly... I want you to see here that true disciples, not only do they persevere in obedience, they persevere in the joy of salvation. Now that might not be evident to you yet in this passage. Let me explain it to you. The conversation goes back to Abraham. And what Jesus teaches them here is that Abraham greeted the promise from afar. The promise of salvation. Look at verse 53 in the interaction. They go back, these supposed sons of Abraham. They go back to Abraham and they say, Are you greater, verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets? Abraham was called a prophet in the book of Genesis. Are you greater than Abraham, the great patriarch of the faith? Are you greater than the prophets? They all died. Who do you make yourself out to be? What do you have to say for yourself that you can make such a claim that a person who perseveres in obeying you will never experience death? Jesus explains to them how this is possible. This is possible because as He is glorifying the Father, the Father is glorifying the Son. Jesus explains to them here, In verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Why is the Father glorifying the Son? So that the Son can accomplish the perfect work of salvation. This glory will lead to the shame of Jesus on the cross. And there the glory of God will be displayed as He righteously punishes sin. And the glory of God will be displayed in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. These Jewish leaders, they don't have a clue about this. You see it here in verse 55. But you have not known Him. You don't know anything about this plan of redemption, is what Jesus is saying. You don't have any understanding of how the Father is glorifying the Son. I know Him, what Jesus is saying. I know the Father. 
And if I were to say I did not know Him, I would be a liar like you. Oh, the tension is building here in the text. We'll get there in a moment. But I do know Him, and I keep His Word. Almost snuck this into the first point here. Because they're so connected to each other. Notice here, Jesus says, if you keep My Word, you will never see death. And here Jesus is saying what? I'm keeping the Father's Word. Right? So our persevering obedience is based on the persevering obedience of Jesus. You see that here in verse 55? What's the Word that Jesus is keeping? Jesus is keeping the Father's plan to redeem a people. And we see that here explained in verse 56. Your father Abraham... Oh, they're boasting about Abraham, aren't they? Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. I love this reference here in this passage of Scripture. Let's go back to the book of Genesis and think about the book of Genesis. Think about the promise that God gave to Abraham. Abraham Look up at the stars. Look at the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will be greater than the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Of course, Abraham wants to know if this is possible, through whom is this blessing going to come? Because Sarah and I are old and we don't have any kids. We don't have any children. And so then God promises to give Abraham a son. How does Abraham respond to that good news and that promise in Genesis 17? Let me read it to you. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He, this news seemed too good to be true. This promise seemed too good to be true to Abraham. He could hardly believe it. Well, how did Sarah react? Sarah was no better, was she? Genesis 18, 12-14. Sarah hears the promise. Here's her response. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, I'm reading the Bible here, okay? Reading the Bible. Don't get mad. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Pleasure she's referring to here is the marital joy of husband and wife. Can I just say that? What Sarah's saying is, me and Abraham... We're too old for that now. That's what she's saying in Genesis 18. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Here's the promise. Abraham receives the promise. He laughs. Sarah receives the promise, she laughs. And then in Genesis 21, old worn out Sarah, using her words, not mine, 
old worn-out Sarah has a child, doesn't she? And in Genesis 21, what does Sarah say? When all my friends, when all the people hear out that old worn-out Sarah is nursing a child, they are going to laugh. You know what they named that son? They named him, he laughs. They named him Isaac, which means he laughs. Abraham, as the writer of Hebrews states in Hebrews 11.13, he saw the promise and greeted it from afar. He believed the promises of God and accepted it in faith, and that faith was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham rejoiced in the promise of God, and by receiving the promise in faith, what Jesus says here in verse 56, go back to John 8, verse 56, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. There's coming a day when Abraham's offspring, a son from Abraham would come and accomplish salvation and bless all the nations through Abraham. And Abraham rejoiced at that news. And now that the Messiah is here, here's what Jesus is saying. He saw it and was glad. He rejoiced. I know Abraham's not here right now, but he saw the day looking forward by faith and greeted that promise with joy. It's the same thing that you and I all do, isn't it? We've been promised salvation. We've received salvation if we're in Christ, and yet there's still a lot of salvation to receive, isn't there? We're waiting on that salvation. What does it mean to have joy? What does it mean to rejoice? To rejoice means that you celebrate the promise of salvation. To rejoice means that it it fills your heart with gladness. It means that you are happy to be saved. The old preachers used to say, the old Pentecostal preachers used to say, are you happy to be saved? Everybody would nod their head yes. He would go, well then tell your face. Smile about it. Are you happy to be saved? Are you glad to be saved? Are you joyful to be saved? The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what are the benefits which accompany and flow from justification and adoption and sanctification? One of those benefits is joy in the Holy Ghost. Increase of grace and joy in the Holy Ghost. One of the reasons that we endeavor, make every effort to make our calling and election sure, according to the Apostle Peter in Westminster Confession chapter 18, is so that our heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We're to experience that here and now. True disciples have persevering faith and they rejoice in that promise of salvation. Can I just confess something to you that over the last year, sometimes I've struggled with that joy. You ever struggle with that joy too? Death in our church and death in our family has at times for me 
cast a dark shadow on that joy. I have to remind myself about the promise of salvation I've received. I have to remind myself when the shadow of death seems so dark and the joy seems so absent, I have to remind myself like King David, my daughter can't return to me, but one day I'll go to my daughter. We have to remind ourselves, we have to preach to ourselves the joy of salvation. It's not circumstantial, is it? It's a joy that perseveres. It's a joy that says, I will be happy about the promise of salvation I've received even in the midst of suffering and hardship. Because the promise and the gift I've received is so much more precious and far greater than anything I can receive in this life. True disciples have persevering faith. They persevere in obedience. They persevere in the joy of salvation. And lastly, I want you to see here, true disciples persevere in the faith that Jesus is God. Jesus here, in verse 58, says something so offensive to these Jewish leaders. They've challenged Him on every front. They've, they've said, you're not 50 years old yet. There's no way that you could have seen Abraham. And, and here Jesus says to them, so offensive. Here's another trustworthy statement. With emphasis here in, chapter, in verse 58, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, what does He say? Before Abraham was, I am. Why did Jesus say it like that? You would think that Jesus would say, Before Abraham was, I was. Or He would say, I was before Abraham. Jesus, your verbal tenses are all messed up here. Why are you saying that that way? What Jesus is doing is Jesus is quoting from Exodus chapter 3. You remember Exodus chapter 3? God reveals Himself to Moses at the burning bush and tells him, go back to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, set my people free that they can come out and worship me. Moses says, suppose they ask me, who sent me? What am I to say? In answer to that, who am I to say sent me? And God reveals His name to Moses. And what does He say to Moses? What does He call Himself? I am who I am. What's God saying? That's His name. My name is I am who I am. I have no beginning and no end. I am eternal. I created this world and yet I stand separate and apart from this world and yet... I am present everywhere in this world. And Jesus here, by saying before Abraham was, I am, Jesus is saying that He's eternal too. Jesus is saying that He is one who knows no time. There was never a moment when Jesus was created. Jesus is eternal. And 
even more so, not only is Jesus eternal, and this isn't because of some sort of, a, you know, God created him to be eternal. What Jesus is claiming here in quoting Exodus 3.14 is that he's God. Not only is he God, he is the same God who revealed himself not just to Abraham, but also to Moses too. And if they're going to have faith in God, if they're going to be sons of Abraham, if they are going to be in the covenant, they have to come through the covenant son, don't they? He's God. He is eternal. And this plan of redemption, Jesus has been involved in that intricately from the very beginning the Jewish leaders are so offended by this. They want to skip a trial. They want to skip a rest. And they pick up stones to throw at Jesus. And John tells us what Jesus does, but not how. Really frustrates me. Inquiring minds want to know, don't they? Verse 59, Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. How did He do that? Did He disappear? He transport through time and space? Did he slip into the crowd? We have no idea. All we know is Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They couldn't stone him to death if they tried. Jesus will not die until the appointed hour has come. And this is not Jesus' hour to die. True disciples persevere in faith that Jesus is God. Jesus has proclaimed Himself to be God. I want you to imagine that faith is like a house built on the side of a cliff next to the Pacific Ocean. It's not that hard to imagine. Beautiful cliffs, beautiful beach there in the Pacific Ocean, and faith is like that. And when you begin to disbelieve that you need to obey Jesus' commands, and when you begin to disbelieve that you need to take joy in your salvation, and when you begin to disbelieve that Jesus is God, you are scraping away, bit by bit, at the soil underneath that house. And it will eventually go toppling over the edge of that cliff, and falling into the sea. Some people wonder, because of that difficulty they've experienced in their life, because they've walked that road, maybe they've even deconstructed, that's a big buzzword you hear right now. Oh, that, that Christian, he deconstructed from the faith. Some people may wonder if it's too late. Can't come back. Can't come back to the faith. It's, it's too late. I've sinned too much. I've had too much doubt. I, I've, I've turned away. And it's, it's too late for me to be saved. We serve a God who's so gracious that as long as there is breath in our lungs, we have a Father in heaven who, like the Father and the prodigal Son, welcomes with open arms those who return back to Him with true repentance and welcomes them back into the home. 
True Christians, true disciples have persevering faith. You may go through a season in your life. I know I've certainly done things that have fallen under God's displeasure. But true Christians have persevering faith and our Father is so gracious and kind, He will allow the consequences of our sinful choices as discipline for us. And as hard as it is for us in the moment, God is actually doing that. Why? Because He loves us. And He's going to make certain that we persevere. And He'll bring us back into the home of faith. What do true disciples do who have persevering faith? Well, I want you to ask yourself that question. I want you to look in the mirror of this text and examine your own heart for persevering faith. Are you persevering in obedience? Are you persevering in joy? Are you persevering in the conviction that Jesus is God and that He's died for your sins? Take a moment and examine your own heart and see if you too are experiencing the benefits of such a great salvation. Let's pray.